Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Angles and Attitudes, the Bobby Hall edition, number nine. Could have gone on and on on that one with all the famous number nines. Um, as usual, I'm Mark. He's John. Today, we're very excited. We've got a, a special guest, a sports writer who's been around the, uh, the area and started writing for the Daily Herald in 1988. He learned it by being in the game and being a part of it. We're very proud and excited to welcome Bruce Miles to the podcast. Bruce, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. I'm honored to be here with uh, two legends. Hey, Bruce. <laughs> how are you this evening? Yeah, I'm doing legends, great, John. Legends in our own mind, Bruce. Legends in our that own makes mind. three of us. Hey, every time we add another um, local celeb uh, like you, Bruce, everybody says, well, how did a couple of knuckleheads like John and Mark get them? So, John, I'm going to turn uh, the, the legend of this one over to you, and you can explain how um, and your relationship with Bruce and how far back it goes. I'll tell you a great relationship with Bruce. And uh, I was telling him last week, he is the voice of reason. I met Bruce in 1994. I had the chance to coach his son, Stephen. Um, met his wonderful wife, Arlene, and his children. And uh, I'll tell you, this was a guy from day one, when you're coaching hockey, uh, travel hockey, as you know, too, because you've coached a lot of hockey, you run into a lot of uh, people, uh, coaches, parents, referees. And I got to tell you something. When I met Bruce Miles, uh, it was just someone that was just fair, honest, and it was all about not only his son, but it was I saw the team concept of why Bruce Miles became one of the greatest reporters in Illinois. Well, that sounds uh, the fair and honest um, as a hockey parent. So uh, we got to get you a, a participation medal, Bruce, uh, like you used to get at all those tournaments, right? Spend all that money and travel all over the place for a medal. Um, but that obviously lent itself to um, your career with the Daily Herald. Um, big fan, um, still walking to the edge of the driveway, as we talked earlier, about grabbing that newspaper and something about having that newspaper and the, the right. ink on your hands and reading. And, and obviously, we miss you. So well, why don't you first uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now? Well, I'm in sort of semi-retirement, if you can call it that. I've done a number of really cool freelance projects over the last two years, including a book, and it's called oh. The Phenom. It's a baseball-related novel that I wrote with a guy from the north suburbs named Jack Schneiderman, and we did that. It's about the one-year anniversary of that coming up. It's about a, a baseball player who has uh, had some problems breaking into major leagues because of the injuries, but he has a it has a big season. Let's just say that. It's called The Phenom. You can get it on Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble, and it's a lot of fun. It ain't literature, but it's a lot of fun. So I've been doing that. I've done some work for my alma mater, Loyola University Chicago, writing some sports stories for their sports website. And also I've done some things for a, a wonderful a women's sports group called Athletes Unlimited. They've played softball in Rosemont, and they're going to play again later this uh, summer and fall. So it's been a, a nice little run for me. And uh, obviously, you got to keep uh, all of that going and keep your plate full so you uh, can avoid as many of the honeydew projects as possible, correct? Yeah, but I'm not doing a very good job of that because I've done so much <laughs> painting. I've pulled down wallpaper. I've pulled off wood paneling. So uh, you know what? I got to find some other things. 
Well, I'll tell you what, surefire way, I had rotator cuff surgery in February, so I've had to do nothing. That's a little bit extreme to get out of some of those tasks, but that's a guarantee that you're, you're out of those for a while, so no problem there. Mark and Bruce, uh, Bruce, question for you. The Phenom book is available right now, correct, sir? Yes, it is. You can get it on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It's a fun little read. You'll breeze right through it. It's a day-to-day -day newspaper account of a baseball season and a uh, special player. And I had a really good time doing it with Jack Schneiderman. And uh, like I say, uh, it, it's it's just a fun thing that you can breeze right through in a couple of days. I I always used to love your subject titles, uh, especially you know when you were reporting uh, on the Northsiders on the Cubs. It was always great and. Uh, you know, just your expertise of what was going to happen uh, the next day in a ball game or, or who was going to play and who was not. You were kind of like spot on. So I got to I'm going to really love this book. I think you will. And one of the things, if I ever had any success in the newspaper business, it was because I wrote for the readers and the fans. I never wrote to please editors, sorry, old bosses, and I never wrote to impress other writers. I always had the reader in mind and I always kept engaged with the readers. If they sent me an email or something on Twitter or Facebook, I always answered it. So the readers for me were for foremost in my mind. And, and that's uh, if I had any success, that's why. Well, and, and we appreciate it, and I appreciate it. Like I said, I miss you and uh, um, recently uh, Barry Rosner now as well. But um, the book, the day-to-day -day accounts, obviously since 1988, there's been a lot of, a lot of stories you've covered, uh, championships, teams that weren't that good. Um, share with us some of those experiences, good, bad, or otherwise, with teams and seasons um, as you followed them during their seasons. Well, I'll tell you that the very first year I covered the Cubs as the beat writer was 1998. And well, nothing happened that year. The third day on the job in spring training, I hear on the radio that a guy named Harry Carey collapsed in a restaurant. And I was like, wow. please, God, make it be some other Harry Carey. So we had that. I had the Carey Wood 20 strikeout game. We had the Sosa McGuire home run race. Jack Brickhouse died, the great Cubs announcer, in the middle of that season. And we also had the wild card race where the Cubs won the wild card. So that was a baptism of fire. And I knew right then and there, if I couldn't make it in 1998, I was never going to make it because so many <laughs> things went on. So, uh, you know, you have to put that season at your first the, the 2016 World Series is a, is a whole nother category because that was the story that everybody wanted to cover. The Cubs finally winning the World Series. Game seven comes along. We're in the late innings. And a guy named Rajai Davis hits a home run for the Indians. And you're like that. You're going, not again, because I covered the Bartman game, too. But we all know what happened. 17 minutes of rain and, and the Cubs pulled that one out. Um, I was fortunate enough to cover both teams winning World Series. I was in Houston with the White Sox. I covered them start to finish in the postseason, Boston, Anaheim, and Houston, covering that. And uh, one of the things near and dear to your guys' heart, hockey, I covered the 1991 NHL All-Star Game at Chicago Stadium. That's the one where everybody remembers Wayne Mesmer singing the national anthem right after the Gulf War started. You could feel that old barn vibrate during the national anthem. Wow. Now it's a big building and solid, but it wasn't going to shake, but it was going to vibrate. I've never heard such a sound in my life uh, as far as that noise and those fans cheering. So those are, are, are some of the, the highlights of many, many, you know, good teams with the Cubs, bad teams with the Cubs, but um, 
all of those things kind of stand out for me. Unbundling that, we'll go. We'll start with, with the Cubs. Uh, with all due respect to the White Sox fan there, and John. Thank you, Mark. But, um, the rain delay. Where at what point are you battling a deadline? You, you know, trying to say, okay, do I have to write a story and just put it in the can and hope that it plays out the way I wrote it? Or do you just keep calling your editor and going, hey, 10 more minutes, 15 minutes, you're watching the game, you know what's going on or not going on? Well, the presses have to start at some point. So I had to file something kind of generic at about whatever time it was, central time, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, I don't remember now and then constantly update it throughout the night. So the rain delay hits and we're thinking, you know, are we going to be here all night or what is it going to be? Well, as we all know, it ended up being 17 minutes. The Cubs end up winning the game. I sent something to them as soon as the game was over. Very generic story put together from things I had written earlier. Mm -hmm. And then I was one of three, only three writers allowed into the Cubs clubhouse when they presented the trophy to Theo Epstein and Joe Madden. So that was quite an honor. So I got some pictures from that. So I came back. I did that. I came back upstairs, updated with that information. I went back down to the clubhouse, interviewed players, tried to dodge all the champagne that was flying around and got up and wrote one more story for the, uh, the website. Oh, I don't know, along about two o'clock in the morning. I think I left uh, Progressive Field with our photographer at about 3.30, got back to the hotel wow. in Cleveland at four, and we were up again at eight to drive back to Chicago. Bruce, question for you before Mark's, uh, were you there for the Hayward speech? Well, I was there, but I didn't get to hear it because the clubhouse and the weight room are off limits. So gotcha. all we could do is sit in the press box, wait for the rain delay. We had no idea until we went back downstairs that that had happened. In the meantime, everybody's scurrying around, scurrying around and we're thinking, who's the MVP? So I think I voted for Lester because of his exploits and coming in in relief. And then Zobras hits the double. So we had to redo that. So there were a million and one things going oh, on. Wow. And you just had to kind of keep your head throughout it all. And fortunately, somehow I did. I think it's all those years of experience of doing that. So, sure. so you, when you go back down in again, are you looking for something specific in terms of a story or you're just going back in and kind of no pun intended with the champagne flying and everything else. You just let it flow and see what you're like, Hey, this is something I think I can latch on to. There's a guy that's willing to talk more or just kind of uh, something in your thought process as you're going in there. Well, I was trying, obviously everybody knew the story, so I wasn't going to try to state the obvious. I, I think I said, it's okay to say it now was the lead of my story. Cubs are world champions. It's okay to say it now because of, you know, all the false starts we had in past years with the Bartman game in 1984 and 1969. So what I was going back downstairs to do was I was going to get reaction, talk to Anthony Rizzo, talk to Jason Hayward, because by then we had heard about the speech talk to Chris Bryant. Uh, Tom Ricketts was down there. Talk to him. Uh, Kerry Wood, who I got along with so well when he was a player. And not every media member can say that, but Kerry and I got along well. He was down in the clubhouse. So I made sure to talk with him. And, you know, he wow. had tears in his eyes and everything. So my job then was to gather as much reaction as I could, not only for the next day's paper and the website overnight, which I wrote real long, but for the next couple of days in, in trying to put the whole thing into perspective. Wow. 
Excellent. Thank you. John, um, I'll turn it over because I can ask questions about what went on in the Cubs clubhouse. I know, you know, I made the phone call to my dad, you know, waiting all this time, born and raised on the, on the north side of Chicago, how much that meant. And everybody tells stories. I'm sure you have them with the White Sox winning the World Series, how you watch the game at home. You know, that Bruce, you didn't get that, obviously because you were working, but you know, I, I was not allowed to sit with my family. I had to go in another room because in order to pace, I had to be in another room so that they didn't get aggravated because I didn't sit down. So those are other things that I remember sure. there too. So um, John, uh, Bruce covered the, the White Sox run. Questions around that? Yeah, you know, Bruce, uh, 2005, were you at the park uh, the night? I think it was in... Um... Uh, yeah, I think, it, yeah, it's definitely game two. Here he had not hit a homer all year, Scott Pesednik, and Pesednik hits that homer in the 10th. Were you right at the park when that went on? Because I remember, I think it was the game when uh, that could, I don't, I might have my games wrong, but was that the game when also Konerko hit the grand slam? That might have been a different game, but I was there that night. If you remember, the Sox were well-rested. The Angels were not in, in the uh, – I'm, I'm thinking of the Angels series, the NL – oh, you're thinking of the World Series. but The World I'm Series with Houston, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, I was in the park that night. I think those were different games. But the, the noise, you know, people said, you know, it's a Cubs town and all this. The noise in Sox Park for, for those two games at home was just deafening. And I visited with some fans in the stands way up in the upper reaches of the upper deck that night. But, yeah, I was in the park for all of that. And when Pitsednik hit that, yeah, that was um, – you know, it was always a different hero for them, whether it was El Duque in right. Fenway Park or uh, AJ or with the, the draft third strike. Uh, when uh, Brzezinski ran to first against the Angels. Actually, the Angels had that game in hand. And then uh, he ran to first. And uh, I'll never forget right. that and, game also. And that and the Sox were kind of in trouble then because they were well rested, as I started to say earlier before I caught myself. But the Angels had had a long series with the Yankees. The Sox were well rested. Oh, the Sox are going to win Game One. Well, they didn't. And you thought they might have been in a little bit of trouble there. But right. I think that play by AJ kind of turned the tide completely. Then we went out yep. to Anaheim, all of us reporters, and then the the, the big thing was all the complete games that Ozzy had uh, his starting pitchers throw, guys like Garland and and Burley. And guys right. like that. And then again, you see a starting pitcher like Burley come in that long game in Houston. Sure. So there were so many things like that. It just seemed to be their year. And people thought incorrectly that they played small ball to win that year. Well, they did not. They hit the heck out of the ball they and did. they got dominant starting pitching. So the only thing I'm kicking myself, they asked us for our predictions. And I said, Sacks in five over Houston. And I really wanted to say Sacks sweep. And I should have because they did, but they, they were a dominant team. And I think any of those teams, Boston, the Yankees, or the Angels, would have been Houston. The American League was really, really good that year. And, and uh, you know, I had the Sacks in five, but I should have made it four. Okay. We'll, we'll forgive you for that one, Bruce. Yeah, the championship <laughs> still tastes just as sweet, I'm sure, for John. Yeah. Everybody on the south side. It's interesting you were talking about the, the bash ball and, and the pitching. And there's, as far as I, the American League is concerned, you know, the White Sox are tearing it up right now. And you look, are, are there any challengers? You look at the White Sox division, not to diminish what the White Sox are doing right now, but you've got, you know, a steady diet of Cleveland and in Kansas City and Detroit and the entire sports landscape of Detroit is, is you know, 
bad as what the auto industry used to be. So it looks like who's going to challenge the White Sox in the American League? Well, I think that, well, the, the entire league, there's some good teams. Tampa Bay, who, who they're playing while we're uh, doing this podcast, is right. an awfully, awfully good team. The, the Sox are going to have to overcome those injuries. Aloy Jimenez, who are, we're getting good news on because he's going to be able to go on a rehab assignment in a few weeks. Luis Robert. And then Nick Madrigal, who we got the news the, the, the day we're doing this, that he's going to be out for the season because of that hamstring injury. Those are very, very significant injuries. He's going to need surgery. He won't be back until next year. So what they're going to have to do is their, their offense is going to have to piece it together. Maybe they'll go out and get a second baseman. Maybe they'll go out and get another hitter from someplace before the uh, July 31st deadline. Right. They're just going to have to have their starting pitching hold up. Everything plays off starting pitching. I've watched it for too long. If they get starting pitching and can piece together some offense, I think they'll be okay. And I was one of those who wasn't all that thrilled when they hired Tony LaRusa, but I have to give him credit. He's, he's doing an awfully good job with the team right now. Exactly. And I got to tell you, I did watch the first game of this Tampa series, Bruce, and that Tampa team, like you said, that's not a shabby team. Uh, the, a couple of those young guys took those Lynn fastballs last night, uh, Lance Lynn's fastballs, and put them into the right field breachers. So uh, this is a good test series for sure, like you said, uh, with the, the Sox and Tampa. And they got to overcome these injuries, and I hopefully they will make some things at the deadline, like you said. Well, and then they got to go to Houston after this. But Tampa is a team that doesn't make any mistakes. So, and if you no. make a mistake, they're going to jump all over it. But we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Hey, we've got two Chicago teams in first place in in the middle of June here. That, that's a lot to be uh, enjoyed uh, for the fans of both teams. For sure. Well, I think the team on the north side is messing up whatever ownership or management wanted to do, and we kid about it and. You know, I've talked to some of my buddies, uh, you know, we're assistant, assistant general managers for the Cubs. And we've said, okay, you get through this, this part of the schedule with San Francisco, San Diego, the Mets and all of this, and they've proven to be able to play with these guys. And now you're Jed Hoyer and, and we'll make you Jed Hoyer, Bruce. Do you try to trade David Bodie when he gets healthy to the White Sox as an infielder and see if there's pitching there? Do you find, um, I heard the the kid from the Angels, who's like one in six right now, but would be a potentially, you know, a steady starter. What do you do if you got that hat on? Well, the thing I don't do is I don't trade Chris Bryant, number one. When he's healthy, which he is this year, he is an elite player. He's not just a good player. He's an elite player. I don't trade him. I don't trade Bias. I don't trade Contreras. You're too far into it now. I think what you try to do is add. And what you have to add if you're the Cubs is starting pitching. When your team gets quality starts, you win games, period, end of story. Arietta's a little bit of a problem right now. Davies is a soft tosser, as is Hendricks. You run those guys back-to-back, you, you, you might be giving a team a too good a look. I, I think that they've got to look to add a starting pitcher. And their bullpen has been lights out. And the bullpen, if I've said this all the years I've been writing baseball, is the most fickle part of any team you don't know what you're going to get with a bullpen and the bullpen that you start the season with is never the one that you end it with so what i think i think you've got to bolster their starting rotation wherever that may be and and you know do you give up a a guy like Bodie, as you mentioned i don't know but yeah i think you have to be looking for starting pitching but i think it, it's really really delicious to me because it's messing up kind of the plans of mm-hmm. the the ricketts family who 
uh, I've never seen an ownership fritter away as much goodwill as they have in these last five years. They're on top of the world after 2016. Okay, so you don't repeat in 2017. That happens. That's okay. And then the offense takes a snooze the next couple of years, and now you're talking that you don't have any money and you've got to get rid of players. I don't buy one bit of it. So I, I, I just find this really cool that uh, it's kind of throwing a wrench into those plans. And, you know, hopefully the uh, the Cubs will be put in a position where they've got to keep these guys and make a run at it. Well, Bruce, if you were still working at the Herald, this would be uh, tomorrow, the Wednesday's column. <laughs> well, it it. Would, I'd, I'd be all over the place with How it. Hey, doing? listen, I, the, the, when uh, Joe Madden was in his final year as manager, I kept writing that they owed him an extension just like Theo got, just like Hoyer got, and just like Jason McLeod got. He was the only one of those guys who did not get an extension. Maybe it was time to let him go, but they could have signed him to the extension, let him go and paid him. But, uh, yeah, I'd be writing all this stuff every damn day, John. Yeah, I, know yeah, for sure. I love it. I love it. Hey, you know, they could use a starting, a hard-throwing starting pitcher and a backup catcher. Oh, wait. San Diego has our starting pitcher and our backup catcher. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I just I wanted to make sure that uh, there was <laughs> one of those out there. All right. Well, We're the problem I had with – the problem I had with that trade was the Cubs didn't really get any professional prospects. They got a bunch of kids who had never played professional ball before, essentially. So that's the problem I had with that, in addition to being a salary dump. But could you imagine this team with a Caratini and a Dara Rashad? Oh, man. They're, wow. five, they're, they're well ahead of the pack with this one. So, okay. Um, heard news popping, staying with uh, baseball and current. The idea of now uh, spin rate, all of that, doctoring the balls. And what is it, Bruce? Next Tuesday, Major League Baseball is going to check the starting pitcher twice a game to see if he's whatever it is that he's got to doctor the ball. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting. You know, how are pitchers going to hide it if they do? Uh, what's going to happen with that spin rate. I'm sure we're going to see it go down. I'm sure we're going to see more offense. Is it going to elongate the games, which are already long? So, uh, you know, this is in response to what's been going on. Uh, hitting has been far behind the pitching. I think 236 or something is the league batting average or thereabouts. It's hovered around that mark for most of this season. So uh, between pitchers dominating and the shift, it's awfully, awfully hard to hit in today's game. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how this works out. Is, is a big name going to get a 10-game suspension? Um, I, they're opening a can of worms here, but which way do you go? Do you do that, or do you just say everything's legal, let's have at it? So I'm going to be very curious to see starting next week how this plays out. That's a lot of pressure on the umpires, but the funny part to me, the conspiracy theorists, and I'm sure, John, you shared the same thought, they're going to give them a week. So that allows the pitchers to figure out another way to either be able to mask it or another way to cheat. Um, yeah. you know, hey, guys, <laughs> we're going to check you, but it's going to be a week before you take that random drug test. Wink, wink. So take yeah. it, you know, so we'll see. You know what, what I'm thinking? That. I'm thinking, and I know, Mark, uh, if you remember this, I know Bruce remembers him. Uh, I wonder what Phil Regan would have done. He used to have the spitter on that 69 team. So <laughs> it's just it's craziness you know this is, well i was um, thinking of him and, and gaylord perry if you remember yeah. gaylord perry used to go through all these <laughs> things and it, a lot of it was to psych out the hitter but he had some fishing rosin or something and and his uniform but he and and sometimes he wasn't even doing it but the hitters thought he was so you know maybe you get a guy like that on retainer if you're a pitcher and say you know how yeah, do i get sure. around <laughs> yeah, that's sure. that 
on some levels, because we would be all considered old school guys and still getting used to the analytics and, and those types of things. And, and obviously, if the guy on the spray chart hits the ball to the same spot all the time, you'd be foolish as a manager not to put him in short right field or whatever. And, and I'm not sure I'm smart enough to figure out how to navigate that to say, okay, everybody's got to be touching the dirt. Or, you know, maybe we're only going to have seven guys, you know, six guys in a field. We got to figure something out to, to be able to improve the scoring there. So, but uh, that'll be interesting. And when it comes to scoring, we run the same issues as we sit right now, as we're um, enjoying talking with Bruce, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs and, and goal scoring and everybody wants to score more. The goalie equipment is too big. The guys are this, it, you know, first it was the sticks were too good. Not a goalie's pads are too big. John, you as a goalie, I'm sure you yeah. love it, right? Oh, for sure. You know, without a doubt. I mean, it's the it's amazing how this just keeps evolving and changing and everything else. I mean, I mean, I wish I could have played goalie now with those trappers and uh, the lighter pads. Uh, used to warm up with the old uh, uh, camel hair ones, and then as soon as they got wet in the warm up, they weighed another twenty pounds on you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, yeah, nowadays, nowadays. If the goalie, the goalie sees it, he stops it, right? right? In the old days, you could blast one past a goaltender, and but that happened the other night, I think, in the Islanders game. But nowadays, if the goalie sees it, he stops it. Right. Exactly. And then the way did you know? Then you you got to jam the front, and the game changes because not as lot not as much is scored off the rush. So you got to have a bunch of guy, big guys, and that's. I understand like the, the Canadians have to play that game right now because skill-wise they're not there and they have a world-class goalie in, in Carey Price. So you're like, all right, we're going to pack four guys between the dots in our own zone and, and good luck you guys trying to get the puck through. It's not entertaining, but obviously through the first two rounds, it's been very successful for them. Sure. And people want offense these days. People want offense. The NFL you know, adjusted all of its rules and continues to do so throughout the years with defensive backs and so forth. People want offense. And, you know, I, I guess that's the deal. But, you know, we'll see how it plays out in all of these sports. The defenses always seem to be ahead of the offenses. And, and especially in baseball, the, all of the advances with scouting and so forth have uh, you know, given the, uh, the advantage to the, the defense and the pitching. And it's a, probably the same in all the sports. So we're going to save the, the best for last because we're, uh, we're going to be running against the clock. So I got to do a good job of timing myself up here. But you mentioned in uh, the 91 All-Star game and nobody, I guess, ever knew the significance of it. Obviously, it's one of those things, right, Bruce and John? You yes. Here, you were part of it and you were like, hey, that was really something special. And but that was where it all started as, as far as the way the national anthem is at the UC now, um, that's where it started. Share your experience on that one, Bruce. Well, actually, I can tell you, we were season ticket holders to the Blackhawks from like 82 to 87. And it really, that the cheering during the anthem really got going during the 82-83 playoffs when the Hawks beat, I think it was the North Stars, and then they played Edmonton and lost. But it was a gradual thing that built up to uh, 91, the, the 83 playoffs, the 85 playoffs against Edmonton, uh, when, when they scored against Toronto in 89 and made it to the, the semifinals against Calgary. So the, the whole stadium experience at the end of the UC was something else. I know people used to make fun of hockey and say there are 20,000 hockey fans in Chicago and they're all at the stadium on Sunday night or Wednesday night. 
Yes. But uh, I, I think that 91 All-Star game really brought national attention to what a, a great uh, moment that was. And, and it wasn't, to me, it's never been disrespectful that fans cheered during the anthem. It was, it was a celebration of the anthem. It was a celebration of being together uh, sure. during the, the Gulf War. It was a celebration of patriotism. So I never took it as disrespectful, even though some people have said that. But I just think it was the whole communal aspect. And it was it, a unity, uh, yes. Yes, and it just culminated there in 91. And, you know, fortunately, the game was televised in Chicago, not like uh, they were until like 2008 uh, when uh, a certain person died. But I just think it was uh, just it opened the eyes of the nation to what a fun place the the stadium and then later the UC was to see all these people in unison cheering and and, and doing it in, in goodwill. I think yep, that yep. nailed it. It was it was spontaneous, so it was passionate, and and that's really all you can ask. You can't judge on that. That was just, hey, we're so proud of what's going on. We have no other way to express it than to stand and cheer, and and I think that's uh, that's phenomenal there. So, but any other of those? Uh, I guess one. Uh, I'm going to ask one more question, and then I'll turn it back over to you, John. As I said, because uh, Bruce okay. is great with his time, but. Um, covering hockey players or baseball players, who was it okay, easier to get along with? That's a, that's a very good question. It comes up often. Uh, what I didn't mention was for several years, I was the beat writer covering the Chicago Wolves, the IHL and then AHL team in Rosemont. I did those guys for about four years before I took over the Cubs beat. And it was wonderful. We had a, you remember Al Secord? Yes. Uh, one of the toughest guys in the business, but off the ice, one of the nicest and one of the most articulate guys. We did a story on him about him being a pilot for American Airlines, and, and he was so great, and he allowed our photographer on the plane with him. And, you know, these days at the airport, you probably couldn't do that. That was well pre-9-11, uh, but L.C. Cord, guys like another tough guy named Bob McGill, who used to play for the Hawks and the Leafs. Just the, the, the greatest guys to talk with. I always have a soft spot in my heart for hockey players because a lot of them came from small towns in Canada and they were just flattered that any reporter would want to talk to them. And, and, and they, they were so nice. Uh, guys on the Hawks, when I filled in for the great Tim Sasson, Keith Brown, Doug Wilson, Dennis Savard. There's no better person, no nicer person on the earth than Dennis Savard. And I covered his return when he played for the Canadians. First game back against the Hawks with the Canadians. He couldn't have been more gracious. So I've got to say that I've got a soft spot for hockey players, but I've gotten along with all the baseball players that I've dealt with. But yeah, I got to go with the hockey players. They're <laughs> humble. John, I'll give you the last question. We got a couple of minutes left here. I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, I actually, I would love to ask him the, the biggest question. Who are his top nine Cubs of all time? I know he would rattle them off, but here's how I want to end it. I just want you to know, Bruce, uh, being around with a lot of guys that I remember the Chicago Wolves because of Nardellas and the Steve Maltais and the Cubs, a few of the Cubs that I ran into. I just want you to know, Bruce Miles, and we are friends over the hockey period. You were the quintessential reporter here in this town. I still hear your name to this day. Your coverage of the Chicago Cubs and all the things that you did were fantastic. I will follow you to the last day. And I'll tell you, Bruce, hats off to you. The city owes you just a big send-off. Because for me, you are top-notch, my friend. And don't know how to thank you for coming on Angles and Attitude with me and Mark. 
Well, it's, it's my pleasure, and I like the title of that because uh, I've, I thought I've had the uh, right attitude where I could play the angles a little bit. So anyway, <laughs> it's, I'm just quite honored to be here. And uh, one of these days I'll get to that top nine Cubs, and maybe we can do a top six Hawks. Well, you're coming back on angles and we'll, angles. We'll be happy anytime you want to come back. Hey, show us the book one more time, Bruce. All right, I got it right here. It's called The Phenom. It's a baseball novel. <laughs> 